0: Welcome to the Mountain and Valley Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Horvath. A few years ago, my friend Kip Wilkinson and I had an idea for a project wherein we would record the stories of people we knew in order to share them with the world. That project grew into what you're about to listen to. This podcast exists to share the stories of everyday people, to discuss the difficult moments in life that we call valleys, the amazing, triumphant times that cause us to feel like we are on top of a mountain, and the winding journey in between. We all have a story to tell, and we hope this podcast helps you in telling your own. In this episode, we sit down with Chelsea Habermas while she shares her story. Chelsea talks about her search for happiness and fleeting things, how trying to please others often leads to loneliness, that Christ loves us even through our messy decisions, and that He alone brings joy in true life. Chelsea is extremely friendly and a joy to be around, but we'll let her tell you more about herself.
1: So I grew up in a Christian home, and um, pretty much my whole life, or the first 18 years of my life, was in church every sa- Sunday, Wednesday. And both of my parents were amazing examples of godly men and women of the Lord. And I had three amazing older sisters who also were great examples for me. I call them my three other moms because they also were moms for me in college. So um, so in short, I was just blessed with a really great family and... Um, Christian home growing up and they were there for me in my childhood and there throughout my testimony so when I was 12 years old I got baptized and at that point I fully knew the Lord I knew the gospel I had been somebody shared the gospel with me I was fully aware of the Bible I could memorize and recite verses which I thought was what you were supposed to do uh, so I got baptized when I was 12. Um and like I said I fully believed in the Lord and I think what was missing for me was the relationship with God and the conviction of uh sin. And so what I like to call myself when I was growing up was moralism in Christian clothes basically. Um so I was moral, I knew what was right and wrong and um but clothed it in well certain scriptures and things like that. So That was kind of my childhood. I graduated high school, and that's kind of when I went into where my testimony kind of starts. But I went to college in Abilene, Texas, and that's where I began my own pursuit of my own personal happiness and freedom. And to me, and I don't know if you guys would agree with this, but a college campus is kind of an interesting place. Um, Students have little to no responsibility they question everything they believe in, and they live within 100 feet of all their best friends. Um, and so I think most, not all colleges, uh, are breeding grounds for poor decisions, uh, emotional brokenness, and just sharp pain. And that's where I found myself uh, through college, was just amongst that brokenness, pain, and poor decisions. Um, so college was the time for me where I pursued everything, and you could call that chasing after the wind. Um, but I pursued everything in hopes of it giving me that happiness I had never experienced before. I desired that kind of stimulation or any experience that would bring me entertainment, satisfaction, or pleasure. And for a long time, uh, probably at least four, four or five years, I was dependent on other relationships, alcohol, uh, cigarettes, drugs, um, anything that I thought would bring me happiness. And I also idolized people around me and ignored and buried my own emotions. So because of my lifestyle, and you can kind of guess, I mean, four, that was four, years, four to five years of my life. But because of that lifestyle I'd chosen for myself, um, I lost my college degree. Uh, so I studied elementary education for my entire college career. In my last two weeks of college, they actually told me I couldn't graduate. It's literally two weeks away from graduation, and they said, listen, you're failing student teaching, you can't graduate. I was like, okay, (laughs) well, graduation is in two weeks, so I'm not sure what you want me to do, but by the grace of God and my amazing parents calling the school every single day, um... I graduated with some random interdisciplinary degree um, that basically discredits everything I studied, and then I didn't get my teaching license. Um, So I was stripped of that, and then because of that lifestyle too, I hurt my family. I hurt a lot of relationships that were really dear to me at the time. Um, And so I just lived a life chasing after the wind, grasping for the air, Uh, I would say extremely exhausted from striving and chasing for what I thought would make me happy. And, you know, most of the time when we're in those moments, I was going too fast to notice how lost I was. So if you ever find yourself in those scenarios, it's like you're in a tunnel. Um, It was really only those few minutes before I would fall asleep at night that my soul would be quiet enough to tell me that what I wasn't doing wasn't working. Um, but then I would fall asleep and wake up the next day and be like, all right, let's go out. We're going to have a good time today. Um, Jesus was always with me in the back of my mind since I did have that background growing up. I knew the gospel. I knew Jesus. I knew who he was. I knew he was there, um, and I knew what I was doing was wrong, uh, but I chose to ignore the gospel that I once knew. I chose to abandon my faith, and the hard truth was that I was absolutely lost uh, and broken throughout college. Uh, but the big but is I was not abandoned. God was in hot pursuit of me. I like to say hot pursuit because he really was um, the entire time, uh, looking in hindsight. Um, after college, I moved to Houston to live by myself, which is a great idea when you're depressed. Um so, uh, uh, and I had heard about, once I moved to Houston, I heard about this thing called the world race, uh, right after college, which of course, with my adventurous spirit, I was like, yeah, I'm all into that. That would be super fun. And if you haven't heard of the world race, it's not the amazing race. Um, it's actually a mission trip. You travel to 11 countries in 11 months in a backpack. You live out of a backpack and you're just traveling around basically for a year sharing the gospel. Uh, At the time, I heard about the world race, which was right after college. I was still living in sin. And although it sounded fun, I didn't think I could be used as an instrument to share the gospel when I wasn't myself living out the gospel. Um, So in the theme of the years leading up to this point, I ignored um, what I felt God was telling me um, and just continued on with my life. Uh, One night soon after, actually, that I heard about the race, I came home to my empty apartment uh, from a night out with friends and turned on my iPod, which were a thing at one point back in the day. Um, And the song that came on was actually Awake My Soul by Mumford & Sons, which is not a Christian band, not a Christian song. Um, But the lyrics of that song really spoke to me that evening uh, as I was sitting by myself. Uh, And this was the first night really in years that I had felt any sort of shame for things that I was doing. Um, So I sat there um, high and drunk, to be frank. Um, And all I could think in that moment was, what if God came back in this moment and I was sitting here high and drunk and he's here to take me home and I can't because I'm sitting here not conscious or aware of what's happening. And then a couple hours went by, and I continued to think on this. I was like, why am I not living every day as if he's coming back? And why am I not living a life free of this shame and guilt? And why am I continuing to choose this path that leads me down, depression and loneliness um, and addictions? <coughs> so I literally stayed awake that entire night just thinking on my life in the last five years that I had just spent running away from the Lord. Uh, so I look back on all the times God used my family to attempt to bring me back. So hindsight's always 20, 20 You can look back. I can look back now and see the moments God was trying to get my attention. And I would just turn around and keep doing what I was doing. Um, but I mean, I, I saw moments where my family tried to reach out to me. I look back at all the different opportunities I had, uh, to stop running away from him and run to him. So that was a big night for me, and the very next night, actually, um, completely aware of, in my right mind, I laid in the grass in my backyard just kind of staring out uh, at the sky, um, laying there in tears, and just as I was looking up at the sky, just feeling the full weight of my shame and guilt uh, of the last five years and everything I'd done, um, And I could just feel the gospel that I once cherished and cherished and knew come flooding uh, back uh, into my life. So it's kind of in that moment I broke down into tears, just repenting of all my sin and everything I'd done, uh, and just asking uh, God to come back into my heart. Which you don't have to ask because He does that anyways. Uh, But in that moment, I felt the chains chains fall off that I've been carrying for five years of addictions anything else uh, that I was doing I just finally felt um, the weight of everything I was carrying uh, relieved which began the journey of the Lord just taking me back on a road to recovery and pursuing the his design for my life which continues today Um, so that's kind of the moment where I realized my shame and guilt and repented Um, long story short, after that, I did go on the world race that I had heard about. Um, God kept bringing it up after I had that moment. Um, so I went on the world race. I went still a little unsteady in my faith and my relationship with Jesus. Um, I trusted what he was saying and I went. Um, and that was the year I was saved. I rededicated my life to Christ and baptism. And most importantly, I had the opportunity to share the gospel That saved me among 11 other countries. Um, So that's kind of the big part uh, of my testimony. I realized that one big thing I realized is grace isn't there for the future me, but for the real me. It's really there for the me that that struggled, the me who was messy, who had addictions, uh, the me who didn't have all the answers, and the me who was insecure. He loved me. He loved me so much in my absolute mess, and he was not waiting until I cleaned myself up. He dove into my mess and pulled me out, and that truth completely changed my life, and I'm convinced that it can change yours and anybody else uh, listening to this. He pursued me, and after a million times of rejecting and ignoring him, I finally surrendered. I surrendered to him, realizing that I cannot save myself uh, and that I cannot find happiness without him uh, here on earth. Um, So that's how I was saved, but my story doesn't, obviously, it doesn't stop there. I still struggle daily. Um, I've faced and am still facing things like infertility, cancer scares, multiple temptations since giving back my life to Christ. I'm telling you the trials don't end uh, on earth, but how you face them can change and how I face them uh, has changed. And so I'm thankful for my walk and beyond thankful for everything I've experienced and looking forward to any other storms or blessings that may come my way.
0: So congrats, Chelsea, you're our first female guest. How's it feel?
1: I feel pretty awesome about it. First lady.
0: You should. Thank you. It's it's a pleasure to have you.
1: Thank you.
0: If you could hang out with one musician, who would it be?
1: Any musician. Any musician. Manchester Orchestra's Andy Hull.
2: Not Andrew Uh Habermas? Oh. Oh.
1: (laughs) Do you know who he is? He's awesome. Not Andrew Habermas. He's awesome too. But I know
0: the band. I don't know him.
2: He I has, don't know anything. He's amazing.
1: He has three bands. Bad Books, Right Away Great Captain, mm-hmm. and Manchester Orchestra.
2: I've heard of Bad Books. I've not.
1: He's very talented.
2: Very you cool. guys are missing out. How do you have three bands? How does that because
1: work? he's really great.
2: <laughs> he's overcommitted, it sounds like.
1: And they're all different.
2: It's too much work. Yeah.
1: It's way too much work.
2: I can't even run one podcast. (laughs) Strike that. No, leave it. It's funny.
1: It is funny. It's good material.
2: It's sad. Because it's true. It's so true, though. Man. So I'm curious what led to that phase in college where you just kind of started questioning everything and, like, turned to drinking and, and I guess, drugs.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think for me my personality type is always looking for something I don't know how to word it. I guess adventurous or fun. Um, and Amen. And, so I mean I in high school and middle school everything going up to college I like I said I knew the gospel. I once I graduated it was like this newfound freedom of what can I do now to make me happy? Mm. Like, I've been, been going to church, and I feel okay. Because, um, I said, like I said, I lacked that relationship with the Lord for that conviction. I knew everything, but the relationship was missing. And so, to me, it was, what can I do to make me feel happy? And happiness versus joy, to me, is completely different. Um, and so, I was chasing things of the world, um, you know, whether that the first thing that I grabbed when I got to college was cigarettes, because why not? Like, I'm here, this sounds like fun, I don't have any, um, without conviction, you're just like, yeah, I'll do that. Um, So I think the answer is I I lacked the conviction and was ready and willing for any adventure or anything fun that I thought would bring me happiness. Hmm.
2: Okay.
0: Would it be safe to say that up until that point, you were m- more or less living your family's faith rather than your own?
1: Probably. Um, and it's not to offend my family in any way. Well, no, but, no that's no, not my to me, Yeah, but I, w- I would say that I was just following what I thought was right. Because um, like I said, it, I knew what was right from wrong based on what my family had shown me. And the example they gave. So you're right. I mean, totally. I, I would agree that I was just living my family's faith.
0: Right. I've been there. That's, yeah. That's part of my story as well. What was the... You, you just talked about the motivation. But what kind of kept you going down that path?
1: I would say the motivator. I'm an extrovert. So the motivator for motivator, motivator, not motors, was if I were amongst, so it's kind of like, um, not peer pressure, but if I were amongst a group of people or around friends and they heard I did a certain thing and they thought it was cool, I'd be like, oh, I should keep doing that because they think it's awesome. Um, Even though in the back of my head, I was like, that probably is not a good idea. Um, So I would say I was influenced uh, a lot by people around me and what they thought of me. And so if, you know, if you were to go visit people I knew in college, they would say I was the crazy person girl at all the parties. That was just like the center of attention because that's what I liked. Um, I think that's what drove me is I liked that attention and I liked... um, people thinking it's a bad word to describe it but people thinking highly of me in quotations um because of what i was doing even though it wasn't right
0: that's a long time to sustain it you said about four to five years Mm -hmm. that's that's dedication
1: yeah and i think too um there were a lot of relationships i had along the way that made it worse Um, and so I, I started cigarettes as soon as I got to college and then alcohol soon after. And there was a relationship I had, um, that, that ended probably midway through my college career that really messed me up. Um, and after that kind of spiraled into more unhealthy relationships and more addictions. Um, and so I think that trend kind of continued of bad relationships after that. That kept me spiraling towards the addictions that I thought would mm-hmm. numb me and make me happier. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Is any of that like what led you to Houston? Because that seemed kind of random. Like a big jump to me.
1: Houston is was a bad move. <laughs> <laughs> I moved to Houston. Actually, I didn't know anybody in Houston except for one friend from high school. And I moved there, and it actually got worse because I was alone. I didn't have, as an extrovert, I didn't have people around me. And so after college, I went there, and I was more depressed because uh, I was alone and didn't have a good community, anybody around me to um, pick me back up, I guess. So that's kind of where, it, that I would say that's where my rock bottom was. It was in Houston, where... I was still in a relationship with a guy back in San Antonio, um, but chose to live there. And even in that, I just felt like that was the worst of my addictions. I was pretty much every night on something or drinking or smoking cigarettes, whatever it may be, to numb myself from feeling alone or any other emotions uh, I was feeling. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: But yeah.
0: Was there anything going through your head? Um, And this is kind of right before you start going on the world race. You mentioned that you were kind of laying in the grass, looking at the stars, and just kind of feeling the gospel. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: How would you describe that today, just thinking about that moment? Is there there any way to put words to it?
1: I don't know. I mean, it's kind of hard to put words to it. And I think, too, in that moment was when I was looking up at the sky one of the thoughts that kept coming to my mind was this is just looking I don't know about you guys when I look at creation it's like this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen like oh, yeah. how is this possible that somebody made this <clears throat> and so that night really what one thing that kept coming to my mind was and when I say I hear God I don't hear an audible voice it's just like a thought that keeps coming to my mind you right. um, no. So I kept hearing, like, that is beautiful, I made that, but you're the most beautiful thing I've made. So I kept hearing that, and I was like, what? (laughs) Because that's not something I would think on my own. That was just a thought that kept coming to my mind. And so that's what kind of led me into my feelings of shame and guilt and um, where I was in that moment.
2: I'm curious, actually, a similar thought. Uh, you said earlier on that you, you viewed, I guess your faith is like moralism in Christian clothing. Mhm. Just, just a cool phrase. Um, but how how did your view shift from that into what it is now, or what it was at that point when you were looking up at the sky? Right. Because that's like a totally different thing. It
1: is totally different. So I think what the difference is. We're all, so now, and in that moment when I was laying and repenting, realizing that I'm not perfect and nobody on this planet is perfect and there, there is right and wrong and I'm going to do both every single day. Like that's going to happen because I'm human. I'm imperfect. Mm -hmm. The difference between, I'm not going to be striving. I want to please God and I want to do what's right in his image, but I am naturally going to fail. The difference between moralism and where I was was realizing that, even in the wrong, I can stand before God someday and trade my wrongs for Jesus's clean slate. Um, so no matter if there are wrongs, which you know I still to this day have things you know I have to repent of on a daily basis. Um, the difference is realizing and not. I still feel the shame and guilt, but realizing that God sent Jesus to carry that for me, so I don't have to. So in those moments, the difference is I can pray and ask God to forgive me, repent, and you feel that burden of shame and guilt lifted from you.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I feel like that's the big shift from just your family's Christianity into what the gospel is. That's pretty solid.
0: So you talked about different trials post-rededication. Yes. Just, is there anything that's kind of a daily struggle uh, without going too deep or, or specific? Just, I guess, the best way to ask it is how do you overcome or deal with the day-to-day life?
1: Um, so, day-to-day life. What a, what a fun joy that is. Um, I think, so some of the things I mentioned, and I'm going to be specific even though you said not to. Well,
0: that, that's up to you.
1: <laughs> but, I mean, day-to-day struggles, some of the big struggles, I mean, we've been trying to get pregnant for five years. So that's a, a pretty common struggle for us. And I've had cancer scares, multiple of them, uh, a few years so I think for me the big thing in daily struggles is realizing that you can I will pray and ask God for something and he'll answer it in a way that I don't necessarily want so for example before a trial like before we were infertile and I had cancer scares I would pray Lord give me a strength faith because I want to have that faith in you and you think, oh, God's going to give me this really great story that, you know, it's going to be all roses and happy, and I'm going to have this magical faith.
2: That's how it works.
1: Um, But, so, I, after that prayer, soon after, yeah, that is how it works, right? (laughs) After that prayer, God, I mean, he answers it in a way you would never expect, but he does answer your prayers. Um, And so, after asking for strength and faith is when we started going through things like, infertility, and cancer scares, or challenges in our marriage, or career change, whatever it may be. And so the, the, the way I get through it on a daily basis uh, is just praying, you know, Lord, whatever happens, may it be for your glory, my joy, and, you know, even if I'm not cancer-free, may you be glorified in it. Or even if we can't have a child, may you use our testimony to speak to other people Um, so it's really just on a daily basis, realizing that what I need, he knows and he'll answer it to the best of what he knows, which is a lot better than what I want.
2: Yeah. Might always look different than you expect
1: to. Exactly. A lot different.
2: (laughs) Well, I'm, I'm curious what led you joining the world race? Uh, especially because you're in such a, <clears throat> a an unsure place in your faith, it sounded like. But then you just decided, I'm just going to go do this thing.
1: Yeah. Yes. Well, so what like God mentioned, I, so that he brought, the Lord spoke that into my life before I repented and then after. So the point, he brought it to my attention multiple times after I had repented, decided to give him my life um when he spoke to me after that point i had thought well what what do i have to lose by going on a mission trip? like surely the lord will do i know he'll do something because he's telling me or i feel like he's telling me to go uh, on this mission trip so i went even though I'm, i mean i had just literally month maybe a month before rededicated or given my life back to Christ. Um, so I was unsteady in my faith, and I was nervous to go on the world race. And ironically, our first month of mish- missions, I met Andrew, and our first month was bar ministry.
0: Oh uh, yeah.
1: So I got <laughs> You in- knew what
0: you were doing. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. We got there, and I was like, how weird. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was just here, I feel like, two months ago, and now the Lord's put me in this situation on the opposite side. Um, so the first month, actually, I immediately knew I'm here. Like, I know you're, you've you put me here for a reason, because clearly this first month is mm-hmm. my life, was my life before you. So,
2: yeah.
1: But yeah. Did that answer your question? I think so. Okay.
2: How was the world race?
1: It was... The world race was, I would say, to on a personal level, I learned I was saved on the race. So the race to me will always have an emotional mm. attachment um, because that was the point where it was just a year of abandonment. It was the... the the first year and five years where I had surrendered and completely given up everything to follow him, um, and do whatever he wants. And so I, I will always have an an emotional attachment to the world race. And obviously I met Andrew there, so that's great. Not everybody gets a husband out of the world race, by (laughs) the way, but, um, and that's not why I went,
2: (laughs) It's a guarantee. If you do the world race, yeah. you'll get married.
1: You'll get married on the world race. Go sign up. To <laughs> but um, so I, I had a great experience on the world race in that I was rebaptized. I rededicated my life to Christ, and I came off of it um, basically feeling like a completely different person.
2: Yeah, a change of pace can do that.
1: Change, yes. Mission work can do that. Yeah.
2: What was like the cool. Well, yeah. What was like the coolest thing that happened, mission wise, while you were there. Obviously, Mandy mission Mandy was wise, pretty a lot.
1: <laughs> the coolest thing. <laughs> the coolest thing was being able to share the gospel. So actually, <laughs> one day in Nepal, there was a day we just stood in a park sharing the gospel. Like that's all we did for about nine hours. Was just stand there. I play my mandolin every once in a while. It sounds yes. super hipster, but it's not. Um,
0: I don't know that you can argue that it's not.
1: <laughs> it is a little bit. But we just sat in a park in Nepal, and as people came up to us, would share the gospel. And even in that time, too, I got to see uh, or witness one or two people uh, come to faith, which was, I mean, every month we saw people come to faith, which was the best part of the trip.
0: Awesome. Where was your favorite place to have traveled during that time?
2: Mm. Cambodia. Really? And why?
1: Because of the people and the culture, which are the same huh. thing.
2: <laughs> I feel like but, the people build the culture.
1: Yeah, maybe. And
2: the culture builds the people.
1: Yeah. But I don't know everybody should go to Cambodia, or honestly.
0: Why? Sell me on it.
1: Oh, man. It's going to be hard to sell you on it. So- Okay, you can't go. So the cities are really great. You'll get to have, like, the normal Cambodian adventure. But going out into the villages is where you kind of get the true experience. Uh, They just literally live their lives as simply as possible. And um, there are people that are unreached out there and have no idea what the gospel is. But even without knowing it, the people living in villages in Cambodia know, like, what is right and wrong they know what they're supposed to be doing and what they're not supposed to be doing and so it's just it's interesting to see a culture and i don't know if you're familiar with the the genocides of the 1980s in cambodia but seeing that culture coming back to life after that and being so hopeful and excited for the next season that they have in front of them but everybody should go to... Also, I got a tattoo in Cambodia in an alley. Yes.
2: <laughs> I can't say that's sketchier than getting a tattoo in my bedroom, so... Worth
1: it. Oh. So, I'm,
2: I'm feeling like there's a little bit of a backstory behind that.
1: Uh, hey,
2: what's this tattoo?
1: Tattoo's on my back. It's in the Cambodian language, which is beautiful, by the way. And it says, Sunshine. And I know it says sunshine because a local was laughing at my back and I asked what he was laughing at and he said sunshine because it was on my back.
2: Well, Chelsea's a bit of a, a hippie.
1: I'm not. <laughs> sunshine makes total sense.
2: Mandolins. People who play Nepal. mandolins are.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. Maybe I am. I just you, never you knew it. Do longboard as well? I do longboard.
2: Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Right?
1: I have a bruised hip. Ouch. Permanently.
2: <laughs> Road rash for days.
1: Road rash forever.
2: I have two other things. Yes. But we can keep them short.
1: No, you can ask. Okay.
2: Do you have anything else? I'm trying to figure out phrasing to so go. That's fine. <clears throat> um, so I'm more... well, let me rephrase this. Mm. I know there are a lot of people out there who would say they're they're shaky in their faith. Mm-hmm. And they would quickly use that as an excuse not to go and do something that God's telling them to do. Um, which it sounds like that's exactly where you were right before you went on The World Race. Yes. What would you say to someone who's using that as an excuse like, Well, I shouldn't go and share the gospel with this guy at the bus stop because I'm a little unsure of some things. Right.
1: I would say... So I would say, first and foremost, I still get nervous sharing the gospel with people. Like, I, I will admit and say that there have been times I feel when I see someone that God's telling me to share the gospel, and I don't. And that's, those moments where I realize if I don't share the gospel with them, if I don't go do this, who's going to do it? Mm-hmm. Like, who's going to go save that person if I don't? Um and so I would say to people that are shaky in their faith, um, why aren't you? What are, What do you have to lose by going to that person that needs to hear the gospel, or by going on that mission trip that you feel like God is calling to? What do you have to lose if you don't do it, or if you don't go, other than the feeling of rejection? Which, yeah. I mean, it does. Kind of suck, honestly, the feeling of rejection, but at least you you took what you felt the Lord was telling you and were confident in it um, and planted that seed in that person, or you went out on a limb and went on a missions trip. Um, if I hadn't gone on that missions trip, who knows what my story would look like today. Um, it would probably look completely different and that, you know, I w- probably wouldn't have met... Andrew, um, i <laughs> he's pretty great. I probably wouldn't have.
2: <laughs> he's all
1: right. Re, yeah, he's okay. <laughs> um, I probably wouldn't have rededicated my life. So I think the question you need to ask if you are shaky is, is what what I'm going to lose more important than what I want to gain or what I think the Lord wants to do in my life? That's true. Um, what yeah.
2: I would say. I feel like we'll all, all always kind of have that excuse like, ah, well, I could probably know a little bit more about apologetics yeah. and theology. <laughs> then I can go That's talk to so them. so true. But I mean, really all you need is the gospel and your testimony okay. exactly. to talk to somebody. Exactly.
1: And I will say, I sh- shared the gospel with a Hindu in India. No, Nepal. And felt probably the dumbest I've ever felt. <laughs> but afterward knew and felt confident that God had planted a seed in that person. Um, So to me, being feeling that ridiculous in the moment was worth it for that seed to be planted. That's
2: true.
0: So if I had to personally put a theme on your story based on what you just shared, I would probably uh, label it chasing after the wind. Yes. What would you say to someone who's doing that now? That's chasing just the next fleeting thing.
1: Yeah. I would say... hmm, That's a hard question, actually. So I had mentioned this. To me, happiness is different than joy.
0: Oh, I 100% agree. Which,
1: I have joy tattooed on my wrist for that reason. So many tattoos. I have a (laughs) lot of tattoos we could go into, but we're not. Um... (laughs) I would say, and I don't remember the book of the Bible. This is him. My husband would know. But um, to me, when you're chasing after the wind, you're chasing things of drunkenness, orgies, What I, I mean, there's a scripture. What is it? Ecclesiastes. Ecclesi- no, I know Ecclesiastes. But. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Andrew, for chiming in <laughs> on my theology. Um, I would say to people that are chasing after the wind, you continue to chase after the wind because you are desperate for some sort of feeling of relief, um, which is what I was doing. I was desperate for some sort of relief. So I would do more. I would drink more. I would smoke more to feel something that would relieve me from what I was, the emotions I was feeling of loneliness and sadness joy I would say is a gift of the spirit um and so whatever scripture I'm thinking of I'll have to find it um but it's the fruits of the spirit are love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness um and so (laughs) when you are gifted with joy it is completely different than happiness as in you are I would say it's not, joy is not something you strive for, it's a gift. So once I started to follow the Lord and in connection with other people and with Jesus in a way that was different than any, I guess, other experience I had had before, the joy I felt was different than the happiness I was trying to strive for, if that makes sense. And that I felt, um, I truly felt like I was fought for, if that makes sense, and heard, and that somebody really loved me, and that and, because he does. Um, and that's where I think the difference in happiness and joy is if you are chasing the wind, you are going to chase the wind the rest of your life until uh, you find the Lord. Um, and I would still be chasing after the wind uh, if I hadn't had a moment. If I hadn't known the gospel and if God hadn't been working in my life, I would still be chasing after the wind in a state of depression and whatnot. But happiness is momentary. Joy is eternal.
2: All right. So Andrew, your awesome husband. Yes. um, is called into ministry. Yes. He's pursuing that. Oh, yes. And I'm wondering what you would... Say to someone, give someone advice on how to be married to someone who's called in ministry?
1: Oh, no. <laughs> well, let me preface this by saying I never wanted to be married to a pastor. I oh, broke no. up with many people I dated that were wanting to be pastors. Um, didn't break up with Andrew. He's still here. <laughs> 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 um. But actually, when he told me he wanted to go into ministry, it was a long uh, uh, conversation, I guess, and thought process of how that would look for me. So anybody that wants to get into ministry or marry somebody in ministry, it's really just, it, you make it seem like it's a lot harder than it is. Like mm-hmm. ministry is in everyday life. Um, so whether that's in your job or, you know, at school, whatever it may be, you're in ministry every single day. These awesome individuals just make it their career to share the gospel. Um, and so that's kind of for me where I turned was well, I mean, we're all called to be in ministry and share the gospel. And why am I so upset that my husband <laughs> <laughs> wants to do that as a profession. Um, and what an awesome gift that is to be able to share the gospel with people as a job. I wish that was my job. Um, and so to people in that instance, I would just say that you're lucky to be able to be in that situation as you know and I too I also think the reason I didn't like it was people put you on a pedestal. Yeah. And I don't want to be on a pedestal because if you know me, I don't like being on a pedestal and I don't feel like I can't, I am a great example in that aspect. So when I think about being a pastor's wife, I'm like, oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of break all the molds of a normal pastor's wife. Um, so I, I mean, I think that's part of it too, is you're worried about being on a pedestal, but so what? Like, you can be, the Lord's put you there for a reason and purpose and, you know, if, if there's people he wants you to speak to, you'll speak to them.
2: Awesome.
0: I personally think there are a lot of pastor wife molds that need to be broken though.
1: So, yes. Yeah. I, will break all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Just,
0: Christ was all things to all people. Right. And I think a lot of current pastor wives that I know at least. They're very sweet women. They love the Lord. But they're all very similar. And yeah. so having someone break that mold that stands out and is relatable to another crowd I think I think is missing.
1: Yeah. I I think so. And I hope and I you know, everybody's testimony speaks to somebody. And so there'll be I'm sure there will be many men and women influenced by us in ministry. Mm -hmm. We just don't know what that looks like yet. And some people might be offended, which that's fine if you are. Um, I mean, but we're always willing and able to discuss things from the standpoint of the gospel. And if you're offended, we need to figure out why and if it's legitimate and if it's affecting that person specifically. But yes, definite molds are breaking with all my tattoos, and does <laughs> 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 Andrew that? have any tattoos? He does.
0: That's he right. Has, yes we got a do. tattoo
1: on our first date in oh. Nepal that I asked him on.
0: That's a hardcore first date,
1: yeah. I asked him That's on that. because he serious wanted,
0: right away. Go get tattoos,
1: yeah. I was like, Hey, you like me? I like you. Let's go get some breakfast. Does and then we got it, tattoos.
0: Does it say sunshine too? It says Aww. mighty warrior.
1: Oh, his oh. is better. I didn't feel like a warrior, so <laughs> I got sunshine. <laughs> same, same, but different.
0: Is there a verse that you hold oh, yeah.
2: close to your heart? Yes. What is it?
1: Um, for, <laughs> First Thessalonians five sixteen through 18. It's actually been my favorite verse since high school. So even when I was in high school and all through college, I remembered this verse. And it's actually why I have joy tattooed on my wrist. But you notice <laughs> be in, this, in this scripture, it doesn't say God's will for you is to be joyful sometimes and to pray occasionally and give thanks in some circumstances. Um, it asks that you be joyful always. And that doesn't mean you slap a smile on your face and pretend everything is okay. That means you're confident and okay in the trials before you because you know you have Christ as your um, saving grace. And so even when I'm in trials, I can be joyful because I know God is there with me through everything. Be joyful always. Pray continually. You don't pray sometimes, which I'm not the best at praying. Um, and so there are a lot of times I have a hard time with praying continually, which is why this is also one of my favorite verses. Um, so you pray continually and that's because in prayer, you find the ability to confess your sins. You find the peace of Jesus Christ and you find mercy and grace. Um, so prayer is important and you give thanks in all circumstances, not some. So when you're, usually when you're going through a trial, you're not super stoked you're not like yes thanks lord this is awesome i'm so happy well no that's not a normal uh reaction to circumstances so giving thanks in all circumstances to me is for example um you know you find out you might have cancer well that really is not great news and it's hard to give thanks in that circumstance but you can look at a million different instances in your life where you can be grateful like, God, I'm grateful I at least have the insurance to pay for this. I'm grateful I have a supportive family. I'm grateful that I have a home to keep me safe in. Like The, the list goes on and on for things you can give thanks for, but we as a imperfect human um, get lost in uh, trials and tribulations, and that kind of becomes our focus. Um, So anyways, that's my favorite verse for many different reasons and why I have joy tattooed on my wrist. And it looks awesome. Do you
2: have the joy, joy, joy? down
1: Down in my heart, yes. Down in my heart.
0: Thank you for listening to the Mountain and Valley Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on social media. Just search underscore MV podcast on any platform. Again, that's underscore m as in mountain, v as in valley podcast. This podcast was created and produced by Kip Wilkinson and Michael Horvath. All of our original music has been produced by the talented Robert Luther. Thank you so much for listening. Now go tell your story.